welcome to another episode of the Risk Cheese Radio Podcast, your place for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. As always, my name is Schmidt, and I'm joined by my good buddy. You guys know him. You love him. Mr. Bro Dinky. Bro, episode 38. How are we doing, my friend? Uh, good. Kind of a frustrating day. Can't lie. Um, <laughs> had a, a long day at work, and then... The wife was originally supposed to have the kids. They they went to Jersey to visit one of her college friends. They were supposed to stay over around eight, nine o'clock. I, I said, oh, you putting the kids to bed? No, we're coming home. Turns out my little guy had a little too much to eat, barfed all over the car. And uh, so I've been dealing with that for the past uh, hour and a half. Oh, no. Yeah, so uh, I try to get back in the mindset for the episode here. I I, I was jazzed up because I, I know we have a pretty good topic tonight, and we had some exciting news today. So I was pretty excited, and then I kind of got thrown for a loop, and I'm trying to get myself motivated and back in the uh, in the swing here, so I can I can deliver a good episode for the peeps out there. Well, I hope your I hope your little guy is, uh, is feeling a lot better. Uh, it's uh, when you're a parent, and, and to all our parents out there, you know exactly that moment where your kid's just gonna gonna wreck shop, and it's it's never never a good time, never a good time. I've experienced it. I've experienced that myself with my daughter, and it's just like just covered head to toe, and just like okay, I guess I'm now gonna clean everything. So yeah, and you can you. imagine uh, with all that in mind, having. Okay, we'll record tonight. That makes perfect sense. I'll be home alone, nothing to do. Yeah. No, so that all happened. Then they're home, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got to go downstairs and record. That obviously went over very well. So, oh yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I'll say this. I mean, this it's a it's the same story for me too for with with my wife and and my kids. It's it's a uh, we we work. We are working people. We're we're normal dads, and we are trying to fit this in to schedule this and, and record these episodes for you guys. So, um. Till I start you know. getting this influencer money, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're normal guys, just like everybody else. So we're trying to make it work. And sometimes, you know, even recording a podcast late at night is is not always the most ideal. Um, but it is what it is. But uh, I'm, I hope everything gets better for you, bro. Uh, rough night, I'm sure. But uh, things will certainly work themselves out. Yes. Yes, indeed. So today, obviously, we had some news. That we're going to cover, partly because yeah. it's something that had been on the wish list, I think, for this year. And for those who are not in the loop, it is today's Friday, and we got a new Tudor Ranger. Bum, bum, bum. Now, when they were teasing the sort of forestry and all that, when they dropped the Black Bay Pro and the Root Beer, I had thought that seemed very ranger-esque to me and and a few other people were like yeah i think it's 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 either gotta be a ranger or a north flag and i saw this greenland north i said okay here we go ranger or north flag again and thank god they finally delivered one of them so far i think the reviews the feeling is kind of lukewarm within the community yeah I mean, it definitely has, it, it's got its pros and cons. I think it's definitely an upgrade from the 41. I thought the 41 was a little bit of a dumpster fire, to be honest. Yeah, it was oversized and and not in a good way. I mean, it made sense for the time. This is what, like 2014 or, or 2013 that they released that, that model. Um, it made sense. You know, things were a little bit larger back then, but uh, 
it needed to come down in size for sure. Yeah. You know, it, it was a good idea. It's a great vintage watch. Like the originals I adore. They're they're beautiful watches, even though they're obviously in the style and fashion of the Explorer. This was just considered a an affordable tool watch that you could put through its paces. And that's kind of what Tudor is now. You know, it's 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 a brand that you can beat around. It's supposed to be tough, born to dare, yada yada. So it, I think that watch totally lives up to that hype. And the newer Ranger, it was a good idea. It came on a bund or the fabric strap, rivet bracelet. It yeah. had a lot of quirks. Like it was if you if you're into quirky watches, it was probably for you. It just it never really sat well with me. And so when I finally heard new Ranger, I was excited. Um, I'm not completely disappointed. I'm not going to say that. But before we start getting into personal takes and everything, I think I guess we'll just run down the watch here. I mean, so we got a it's a 39 mil, right? Yep. Which is nice. It's down from 41. I think a it's little a, it's more. It's a much more vintage modern size. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. We we've talked about 39 before. I remember we we covered the the. The, the constellation globe master in 39 the guy's like man if it was a 38 i would have been all over it i'm like really one millimeter guys i did um, see that comment today fyi <laughs> <laughs> so again i'm just like okay it's it makes sense the vast majority of people are going to want that size it's a good size 39 is fine um but yeah i mean aesthetics what do you think bro i mean it's not the tutor ranger i would want remade if I can okay. be 100% honest, I'm listen, I'm a, a person who likes. I don't want to say bells and whistles, but if I'm going to make a Tudor Ranger, I want it to look as Tudor Ranger E as possible. And yeah. I just think I think my favorite iteration of the Tudor Ranger is the one that comes with the Cyclops, a date and a roulette date wheel, because, you know, I don't know why people aren't doing roulette date wheels anymore. Roulette date wheels are bomb they're cool it's such my dad has a date just with a roulette date wheel i think i've mentioned on the pod before and every time i see it it's just it's just cool you know it's it's just very cool every other alternating date um is either red or black it looks fantastic it's on a white date disc i mean it, it just it's awesome it's awesome it's such a cool feature and it it's so simple it's such a simple feature but it's such it's so quintessential rolex tutor like that is a thing that they used to do a lot of back in the day. And we don't see any of that really anymore from the collections. And it was something any that the them. brand shared, which is not that common. No. So that's something I would have I would have liked. I don't expect that. Listen, I don't I don't think brands these days think that far into it as far as what the enthusiasts are concerned with. Yeah. I think they they look at it and they say, okay, is this market, is this, is there a market for this watch? Yes. Okay. We'll make it. But if I'm getting that, I want just a few little, little nods here and there. I would like some smiley text. I know. I think I the Tudor smiley miss, is great. I miss it. I miss Again, it so we've much. talked about the Tudor rose. That would have been a nice touch. I know. I think yeah. they put it on the crown, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think you're right on that. I think you're right on that. I think it has the crown, the rose motif on the crown. Yeah. But yes, a Tudor Rose on the dial would have been sweet. I mean, we're hearkening back 70 but, years, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. But I will say this. I will say this. You know, technically in history, the version that this particular Ranger is, is stylized after, that particular version when it came out in the mid-1960s, 
it featured well one of them featured a rose and one of them featured yes. a, a shield so technically you know you could be pulling from the later 60s reference um, which it looks like they did but even still that one did come with a date it did come you know with that uh, with that cyclops and the date especially in the roulette format so there's a few things they could have added that's for sure yeah, I'm not saying one is right or wrong over the other, but if we're gonna if we're gonna do a reissue, let's let's knock it out the park here. Right? Let's go on. I'm not, I'm not trying to hit a single. But do you think the the vast majority of people want a no date versus a date, or do you think the opposite? I think if we're talking general public, I have heard this directly from people at brands. Date watches sell much better than no date watches. I would agree I, with that. I personally don't mind a no date at all. I have yeah. no date watches. I like it because it's it's one less thing to set. To be honest, as lazy as that yeah, sounds, yeah, yeah. but sometimes no, I mean, you just, true, you just don't want to set it. It's true, absolutely true. But I think, as far as practicality goes, and I think for sort of the more pragmatic buyer, they see date and they say, you know what, it's nice to be able to tell that just by a flick of the wrist. I don't have to take my phone out and click a button. And again, that sounds awfully lazy, but it's just a convenience factor. But again, you know, it would be one thing if it was a watch that historically never featured a date at all, and then we added it. That can be kind of a downside. Like I know when the uh, when the Legend Divers came out, you know, they came yes. out many years ago. The first production run of the Legend Diver from Longines, like it was a no date, and everyone was kind of like, eh. Then they came out with a date version, and then by about that same time, the collectors started getting turned on to this watch. And everyone's like, oh, no, it has a date now. And the original didn't. And now everyone wants a no date. And those are very desirable in the marketplace. But they only produce them for a few years. Because uh, now all the modern versions, uh, I believe, do have still dates. Um, so it's great. You know, it's, it's a simple thing. Like you said, it is a convenience point. Uh, but based on my experience, too, the average consumer wants a date. Yes. Now, I'm not talking about the WISP people in the community. I'm not talking about watch collectors. I'm talking about your average run-of-the-mill person who's going to walk into a store and it's going to buy a timepiece. They want something rugged. They want something simple. They want something high quality. They want something that is going to be a very utilitarian piece to wear. The Tudor Ranger certainly could be that for them, especially given the price point. Uh, but most people are going to want a date because it's just one more extra convenience factor that they that they can get on their watch. Watch community... We could really, I, I feel like in the watch community, it's really 50-50 with people who want dates and people who don't want dates. Yeah. I, like you, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I have several watches without dates. Um, I just got the Moon Swatch and that one doesn't have a date. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it can be done and it can be done well. And sometimes you don't even miss it because I certainly don't. Yeah, and so I, I wanted to run down, I think, the positives first before we get to, I don't want to say the negatives, but just things that you either I, I would change or complaints that I've seen, and we'll get to those in a little bit also as well. But <laughs> I got to say, no rivets on the bracelet, bravo. Yeah, I think right? that's that, a smart look. The bracelet looks very sleek. It looks very good without them. It looks like it blends to the case very well as far as continuity from like the side profile, because you don't have those rivets kind of breaking up your, your eye lines and things. Yeah. Adjustable T-clasp, gotta love it. I think all tutors going forward are either going to have this or some kind of rendition of it. So gotta give them props there. That's a, That was a big, big selling point for a lot of people on, on everybody's wish list, I think, because you know they have the capability of doing it. 
You've seen they have adjust, adjustable clasps and things like the Pelagos, and obviously Rolex has it in pretty much everything. So to be able to have a little on-the-fly adjustment, especially when you're getting it in things like micro brands, finally people can breathe a little easier. And like we said before, it's just another nice selling point about this watch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The usual knock on Tudor watches, not so prevalent here. It looks like it comes in around 12 millimeters thick. No complaints there. Yeah, pretty right? thin. Pretty thin for a sport watch, for sure. For sure. And I think probably maybe the most appealing part about this is a lot of people consider this to be a tremendous value proposition coming in around $3,000. Yeah, on bracelet. It's yes. even less on the strap boxes. Yes, it is. Which, which again, you know, arguably a very, very high quality price point, arguably a, a very competitive price point given other watches that are kind of in this range. I mean, you're looking at some entry tags, you're looking at Longines. I mean, if I was really going to walk in and buy an entry level tutor, this is a watch that I would personally own, period. It's, it's, it's an in-house caliber. It's all those good things. I know you're going to get to that, but you know, the price point is extremely attractive on bracelet. What I think is 3,050. Something I think like that. The U S price point, um, uh, for this new watch, but I, it, it's, it just looks good. I think it's, I think it's going to do well for Tudor. I mean, I think we can all argue that it's, that it will. Um, I just don't know how easy it's going to be to get. That's going to be the big challenge. Yeah. And that's yet to be seen. Um, I think it might kind of be like the Black Bay 58 Blue was at first, where it was, oh, you're not going to be able to get these. And now everybody's got one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So on to the, what I want to say, actually, before I go there, I want to say, above all else, this is progress for Tudor, right? I think this is a sign of progress. This is a sign of moving forward. And that's probably the biggest kudos I'll give them is that they appear to be Listening. Making, yeah, listening, making a charge, making an effort. And I think people appreciate that. Whether they like this watch or not, at least it's it's effort, which is something that I think a lot of people have questioned, us included. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, again, absolutely. It's uh it's we've and, and the thing is it's funny, is we've we've talked about this watch before. Yes, we've talked about that we wanted this watch to come back that many different times we thought it was going to be teased. We thought we were going to announce it and we got something different and now we have it. And I, you know, I don't want to say that I, that we have a, you know, a crystal ball and we can see into <laughs> the future, but it's, it's kind of crazy that we, we keep coming up with the predictions. We were right about the Doxa that came out earlier this year that from the time that we posted the podcast episode, it, it, it dropped within like a couple of weeks, which is crazy to me. Um, and then we're right about this one. And I think that, you know, this is a watch that's going to do really, really well for Tudor. And I think it's a step in the right direction for them. My only thing that that I'll kind of touch on when we get to the 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 things that we could have wished for was uh, some more stuff with the with maybe the movement. And we'll talk about that. Sure. So going on to that, one thing that kind of always bugs me about Tudor bracelets in general is the very pronounced female end link situation. Okay. Right. It, uh, there's something about the way that they join their bracelets to the case. It just doesn't, at least for me, lend to a, a great wear. It, it almost contributes more to that bobble back and forth on your wrist because 
if you look, the hinges are like right where the watch sits on top of your wrist. And I've had this problem with more or less every Tudor I've ever owned. And I've owned a few of them. Okay. I just don't like the the way the bracelets fit that way. It's If you notice, Rolex does not use that design. They use more of the male end link. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you I know, know some I, people like it and some people say, oh, well, it fits my wrist better this way, that way. I find it to be a much less comfortable wear. And this is something that, that I myself am, have, have kind of teetered back and forth with because I have, I have watches with bracelets with both. And, uh, and I'll say this. For a long time when I was selling um, Omega back in the day, Omega was one of those brands that did a lot with the, with the male end link attachment. And the biggest problem for the average person, especially if they were a little bit smaller in stature, is that the way that it would connect to the case, the bracelet would always start further away from the actual lug distance itself Wider, and yes. then protrude downwards. So if you did have a smaller wrist, it made the watch very bulky and it really exacerbated the idea that your wrist was small and the watch looked big on you. Yeah. Right. So when it, when you switch to a female end link, what it does is it allows the bracelet to, to drape naturally from the lugs, which represents the true lug to lug distance. Therefore the actual wearing comfort of the watch. Now, if you have a larger wrist or stockier wrist, what it does is quite the opposite. Now the bracelet hinges upwards and then out because it's trying to contour around your wrist. It's a yes. wider in profile. So that's must be what you're kind of experiencing. Uh, but I'll say this for me personally, having a, a little bit smaller of a, of a wrist, I have about a seven and seven, I have a seven inch wrist on a good day. Uh, typically if I'm swelled up, maybe seven and a quarter ish. Um, but that's, uh, it's after a few drinks or so, but for me, I have found that the female end length bracelets fit much more comfortable. But um, I have bracelets with the male end links. My Seamaster 300, the vintage one, has that bracelet, and, and it seems to wear just fine. Um, but it is, you know, could be a point of contention for people. So, yeah, where I find it comes into play with these watches is if you've ever seen the back of a Tudor, they have sort of that protruding case back. Uh huh. So it compounds the issue of it wearing tall with all their watches because they're all pretty thick or tall. And especially with they do pretty high dome crystals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get sort of that refrigerator on your wrist feeling from it. And I think it, I think the female end link contributes to that. Yeah. That's where I, too, I feel about that. Yeah. And the other thing, too, we've also seen, too, where they put their lug holes. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, you've talked about this before on the podcast. Like, you're like, yeah, I used to put my watches on different straps. And it's like, I, it was horrible because it was like five millimeters away from the actual case of the strap based on where they put the spacing for the, for the lug holes. And it had this massive gap. So you kick a field goal through there, man. <laughs> so it just looks odd, you know, to, to the average consumer. Um, and if you are changing that, which again, you know, Tudor's trying to make watches that, that are accessible to collectors and that, that people want to buy, you know, this type of utilitarian watch should be a strap monster. Yes. So, you know, it, it should be something that we should be able to, to switch straps in and out and, and, uh, and be able to, to, to accessorize them however we want to. So we'll see if that's the case once people start getting these, uh, these watches in the metal. On to some other things that I saw just throughout the day periodically of people discussing this watch. I know a lot of people are thrown off by the printed indices. People like Applied. Applied is fancy. I know 
obviously they didn't have that way back when, so it might be a little more traditional, but I, I know a lot of people were pretty up in arms about that. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Uh, to me, this, this lends itself to an aesthetic choice. It's a design thing. The original was like that. But here's the trade-off, okay? Um, back then in the 1960s, which, you know, there's two references two references that basically this particular new ranger is really stylized after. There's a version that was a reference. Um, let's see here. It was a version reference 9050 in 1969 and the previous reference which was the 7995 in 1965 so basically this new ranger according to tudor's website is really stylized after these two references okay now what's interesting is back then they were using tritium dials so you could do a thin application of tritium on the dial and still make a very intense glow bright dial because the tritium was radioactive it would glow itself now the problem in a modern context for that is now you're using superluminova that means you're doing a very thin application of superluminova and i've already seen a loom shot of this watch i don't think people are going to be happy with the loom i was very underwhelmed the video that i saw it was posted on youtube today there was a watch jewelry company called brent miller's they did a quick hands-on with the, the bracelet version and the hybrid strap version. He did a quick shot with the loom, and this guy always charges up the, the dials to, to, to show the loom and all his videos. He did it, and it was horrible. He's like, yeah, it's pretty legible, but it sounded like he was trying to... to sugarcoating to, it. Exactly. He knew it was bad compared to, comparatively to some of the other stuff that he showcased on his videos. Uh, and he was like, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. You can definitely see the contrast with the dial, but it looked faint and it already looked like it was losing power just from him turning the lights off and it lighting, you know, within a few seconds, it started to change. So I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed with the with the actual loom itself. I'll say this. My Pelagos had the among the best loom I've ever had. It was unreal. My GMT did not. It left a lot really? of room to be desired. And that's really it's a black bay. It's not like it's a yeah, know, they had applied it had a press model or something. Yeah, it's it was a black bay GMT. It it should have been pretty good. And it it wasn't that it was bad, it just left more to be desired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Damn, that's crazy. But yeah, I, I mean in this video, I think once people see the loom shots of these of these watches, they're not gonna be too happy about it. Another interesting little tidbit I saw somebody bring up is that this watch is, I think, completely brushed. Yes. I don't think there is any other finish on this watch. No. I don't know how that's going to be in person. I mean, obviously, I want to see it. I want to check it out, try it on, see what's up. But no other finishing anywhere? As far as I can tell, there is not. Now, again, it's kind of hard to, to, to look. I'm basing everything based off the, some of the press photos that I've got, some of the, the stock shots that people have been posting on social, but it looks like there's some beveling on the case, but I don't think it's a polished bevel. I just think it's a different textured finish on the actual case itself with how they finish it. So, you know, you might have brushing going one direction and then brushing going a diagonal direction. And it looks like it's a little bit different and there's a noticeable cut there in the metal, but I don't think it's a different tone. I think it's all completely matte finish, all brushed. 
And I understand people will say, oh, well, it's a tool watch. It's an exploration watch. I mean, all the Black Bays are pretty tool watch to me, and they've got plenty of different finish on it. Yeah, and and didn't the original Tudor Ranger have a polished bezel, if I'm not mistaken? I'm pretty sure it did, because doesn't the Explorer 1 have a polished bezel? Explorer 1 definitely does. Yeah. I know it has a matte bracelet, matte case, but I think it has a has a polished bezel. Explorer 1 definitely does, because I know some people who said that the two-tone fixed that faux pas, because now it, it continued the polished polish down the center, center links. links right? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I think the uh, I think the boys from Whiskey and Watches talked about that many, many months ago, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and what I'm looking at here on the website, it does not look like it has any other finish. There is a bevel on the case for sure, but it just looks like it's a different direction brushing of the satin finish, of the matte finish. So I'm gonna be curious how that see how that how that reads on the wrists. And it's not from what I can tell, it's not like a it's not like a sun brush, it's a circular brushing on the on the bezel. So we'll see if that's gonna be a scratch magnet. Yeah, and then obviously for me, probably I guess the biggest gripe you could probably have with this watch is the sizing. I think a lot of people were looking for this watch in 36 millimeter. I think 34 is asking too much. I think nowadays you're just not going to get that, even though they make a 32 millimeter, I believe, Black Bay. Right? They make a Black Bay 32? I think so. So I reckon you could probably just throw a little extra housing in there and get that movement to crank over a 34 millimeter watch. But but, but I I also don't think that that 32 millimeter Black Bay is an in-house Black Bay. It's probably... I, I, I don't think so either. Yeah, it's probably a small, you know... Uh, ETA movement or Salita movement or something like that that they use as a base. So, but I think a lot of people were looking for this in 36. I mean, the Explorer went back to 36. Yeah, I when I saw the size in 39, to me, my first thought was it made sense. But since everyone was all up in arms about the 36 millimeter, you know, um, you know the 36 millimeter explorer one i know that you were very happy that it went back to its you know kind of origin size at 36 i think that this would have made sense my only condition as to maybe why they didn't do it is because that would have been logical and then they would have really underscored that tudor's really just delivering all the watches that rolex can't deliver right it's like okay we made we made the, the the explorer one go back to 36 are we going to do the Ranger in 36 as well? Is it going to be competing with our with our Explorer 1? Is it going to take people away from that purchase? I don't know. Maybe we do it in 39. Yeah, and like I said, I, I personally did not like the Explorer 1 in 39. I thought it was a little too spaced out, a little yeah. disproportionate in that regard. And I think 36 is just a perfect it, – it's ideal at 36. And I thought – I'm going to be honest, I thought the original Ranger was really good in 34. I don't think that's feasible by today's standard of what people expect from the sizing of a modern watch. Yeah. I think you could get away with 36. But I'll be honest, even the Nevada I have, it's the same similar layout. Right? It's that sort of explorer-ish layout. Yeah, yeah. Even at even at 37, I feel like it's a hair big. I'm going to be honest as far as proportions really? and, and spacing goes. It's really cool. I just feel like there's just a touch of 
Extra space. Extra space where if you could condense it down just a hair, it would be perfect. Not that it's not good. Just an opinion. Interesting. Interesting. I, I would say this. I like the watch. I think the casual watch buyer is going to like the watch. I think the watch collector is going to like the watch. Um, I've already seen a lot of memes going around the internet about the uh, the Explorer uh, or the, the Tudor Ranger starter pack with some shoes and different things like that. There was a man, a man bun, bun thrown in there. Yeah, there was a man <laughs> bun in there for sure. Um, so again, this is kind of like the, the the you know this is the Houdinki crowd watch for sure. And and again, nothing wrong with that. It's going to sell. It's going to sell well for Tudor. My biggest complaint overall is not the size, not the aesthetics. Um, it's not the bracelet. I think a lot of the choices that they did are going to satiate a lot of Tudor collectors that have been saying some negative things about the brand, ourselves included, for sure. Um, my biggest thing is, again, what are we doing with the movements? Tudor spent all this money mm-hmm. to establish master chronometer certifications, and yet here's another reference after they debuted the master chronometer with their black base ceramic earlier this year or last year, I can't remember at this point, but we still don't have a new watch with master chronometer. And again, maybe it's a price point thing, right? It would take it a little bit higher in price point. But even if you sold this watch at $3,500 or $4,000 at with that type of movement, you don't think the market would buy it? I think that they would. I think it would be worth it. I mean, again, we're, you, you make that the ultimate explorer's watch. If that's how you're marketing this, yeah, it's a great watch. It's got a great power reserve. It's in-house. Silicon balance ring. Those are all good things. But why not take it a step further? What are you doing with Master Chronometer? That's what I want to know. Because I've heard from so many people that Tudor's really trying to go after Omega. And you guys know where I lie with Omega and my sensibilities. I want to know what they're doing with Master Chronometer. Why did they push this so heavily? Why is it a big focus? And why haven't they adopted it into anything else in their collection? That's my question is understand. my question is if you make this a master chronometer and you offer this in the size that a lot of people used to like for the explorer does that make this a more ideal choice for some people than an explorer 100 percent, it does and i think that may- maybe that's also part of the problem yeah i think that that's also maybe part of the problem because i even heard from some people that uh that have carried this 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 line that carried tutor that they always had to say that tutor has a power reserve of 70 hours Right. But I've heard in those same people that during training, the tutor reps will say that it actually has a power reserve that's over 80 hours, but they can't openly say that because the Rolex power power reserves stop out at 72. Yeesh. So that technically specced out wise, you're getting a better timepiece in a tutor than you are in a Rolex, but they can't openly advertise that because it would detract from the crown itself. Well, I'm going to be honest. I, I think they got as close to the sun as they possibly could with the Pelagos, and I think they had to back it down from there. That watch is, I will say it again, that watch is an absolute tank, and I think it would push the sub one for one right through its paces. I'm not going to say it's going to best it, it in any, any way, yeah. shape, or form, but man, can it really give it a run for its money? And especially if you're if you're a younger person who wants something in maybe a different color that's not an obnoxious green Starbucks-looking watch, a blue Pelagos or an LHD where you get that roulette date, right? Yeah, and, 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 and 
it's funny that you mentioned that because I happened to see the the blue pelagos just over the last couple of days. I was doing a business trip uh, here in Texas, and there was one sitting in the case line, and I almost texted it to you. I was almost gonna be like, "Hey, bro, I found your watch again. Yeah, I'm about here that it is, ready to go." Day. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's just beautiful. I mean, that color is just so rich. It's so beautiful. Um, even with all the text on the dial, it's still a fantastic watch. But you're right. I mean. I think that that's a watch that that would really rival the Submariner in a lot of different ways. The finishing quality is fantastic. The material is fantastic. It's titanium. The clasp is one of the best clasps ever invented for a dive watch in the history of dive watches. You know, the thing that I love about that clasp is you can actually use it. The glide lock, it never made sense to me. It's a great clasp for micro adjustment and diving extension, but you have to take your watch off. Yep, off your wrist. You have to do that. And that, to me, never made any sense. Why do I want to take my $10,000-plus diver off my wrist to adjust it when I should be able to do it on the fly while I'm wearing it? I do nothing but increase my chances for theft and for potential drop damage because I have to handle it so much more. It's one thing Grand Seiko got right. I mean, same, I mean the same thing with Omega. I mean, yes. the same thing with Omega. Like, I can open my clasp and I can micro-adjust it on my wrist. It never has to leave my hand. And that's something that I don't think that people really realize uh, is, a, is a positive selling feature. So this whole thing left me with, I guess, a burning question. And that is, is Tudor actually listening to consumers and trying to please people and trying to move watches? Or mm-hmm. would you consider this more of Rolex stuff you can't get? Because I know, listen, I know the Tudor Ranger existed before. And it's a historical model for them. But this also looks plenty 1016, which you know yeah. is huge in the collector community. A lot of popular writers and things have them, tout them. They gave you the Steve McQueen. They gave you a root beer. Are they now giving you a 1016 alternative because there's no chance of you getting that? And I don't know what your odds are of getting a new Explorer either. So it's a toss up. I think I'm not sure, but there's definitely a, a potential trend developing there. Yeah. I mean, again, we, we've touched on this before as well. We've talked about Tudor and we've bashed them to oblivion on many different episodes throughout this year and last year. But one thing I will say is this Tudor used to have a definitive design language. It was something that invented in, in many different ways was the antithesis of its bigger brother with the crown. You look at the original Black Bay with the burgundy bezel, gilt markers, oversized case. It was a very distinctive release. You look at things like the Heritage Chronos. You look at the, the Tudor Advisor that we talked about last week. You look at the, the, the North flag. It had its own style. Now, the, I mean, we just talked about the Pelagos, right? We just talked about the Pelagos. That is a very distinctly different watch than anything that Rolex would ever produce. But now, everything almost seems as if it's a carbon copy of watches you and I know you cannot get. And I don't know if the Tudor falls into that category um, because it is a pre-existing collection. Like, you know, I look at the, the, the Black Bay Pro. That, to me, that root beer, that, to me, is more or less, hey, these are two models that we know for sure you cannot get from Rolex. They're vintage. You know, they're, they're extremely desirable in the secondary market. You definitely can't touch them. 
especially not for price points. Here's an alternative that we can get you, right, from Tudor. But that's not Tudor's history. Those watches didn't exist in the Tudor collection at all. I would say that the Ranger falls into that category, but the only stipulation here is the Ranger actually existed. Yes. The other two did not. And I think that's the only saving grace for the Ranger itself. But I'm curious to see, as we see more evolution of pieces coming out from Tudor, does this trend continue? Do we start to see the whitewashing of the, of the Tudor design concept into just mirroring exactly what you cannot get from its bigger brother? And I think that's yet to be seen. I think it's a really, honestly, a really, really good question. And I guess we're going to find out in the next couple of years because the trend is going to be apparent. Yeah, it's going to start to reveal itself one way or the other. If they start dipping back into their heritage pieces and start reactivating some of that, okay, maybe maybe this is just Tudor going back to its catalog like it did in the past, right? But if we start to see, you know, Black Bay 58s coming out with green bezels or, you know, we start to see um, a, an, an update to the, to, the, to the GMT, the Tudor Black Bay GMT, if we start to see new things that are coming out that are, that are different, but they look like Rolex models, I mean... We also have the Black Bay Chrono we didn't talk about. The Baytona. I mean, yeah, that's kind of in that same vein as well. I mean, I would love to see Tudor be like, you know what? We're moving away from the Baytona. Like, I want to come out with the Tudor Big Block again. Like, let's do something cool. Let's do, let's do a home plate dial, you know, Monte Carlo. Let's do something that was, that was awesome. Okay? That is what I want to see. If we're gonna do, uh, if we're gonna do a new diver, let's do a new Submariner, Tudor Submariner. But let's do it with the, um, with the with the '90s dials, where they had like the triangular markers, yeah, as opposed to the rectangles. Like, let's do something different. Let's do it that way. But that makes sense historically for the brand, right? I mean, for many years, Tudor was the little brother of Rolex because they used the same cases, they used the same bracelets, crowns, whatever. The movement and dials were different. That was really the only changes. Was a way to sell the product at a lower price point. And if Tudor wants to really remain its own entity, they need to start focusing on doing that kind of stuff. We need to see them look more to their back catalog and re-envision new pieces from that from those pre those previous models. Because if not, they'll never step away from, from Rolex's shadow. And honestly, bro, at this point, I don't even know if it's possible to remove yourself from Rolex's shadow. I think the two are literally inextricably linked. And that's the other part we've talked about is I don't know if they really want to, because at this point they're selling watches because they are, they are linked in that fashion. Yeah. Now, and again, I've hammered it a million times. The dress models suck. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the Royal is uh, cute and all, but go back to those oyster princes, go uh, dig into that. The there's, a mil there's a million different oyster prince references the throughout history. Just go back, look at all the good ones and make some sort of an awesome amalgamation of all of them and release it. That's all I'm asking for. It's not a lot. I know. I know you and me both. I mean, the Royal is a perfect example of just an utter miss for me. It's like, it's like, four generations of Tudor Oyster Princes is like smashed into one watch and it's horrible. It's just not an aesthetically pleasing watch. Engine turn bezels, integrated bracelets, but then you have like date just Roman numerals. It's like, it, what, what decade are we talking about here? 
you know it, it's it's just crazy i just i want i want so badly for tutor to be the brand because they can they can mm-hmm. be they can be and i know you share the same sentiment you love the brand so so dearly that it hurts you when they piss you off with dumb things yeah you know and it's just like and i know a lot of collectors feel that same way it's like why are we expressing concern about this if it's never gonna if, if nobody's ever gonna listen to us if it's gonna continue to fall on deaf ears now i would like to take a moment here and do a little fun exercise i happened to snap a few screenshots of some commentary from the, the general public not even from well-known people this is just anybody i took a few they're all over the place so it's not just for against whatever I'm just going to roll through these. Some of these are actually hilarious. Um, others make really good points. So the first one is if missionary sex was a watch. Oh God. That's how that's, that was the description of it. If missionary sex was a watch. I thought that was oh. just kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty curt. It's pretty to the point. I like it. I like it. All right. Yeah. Well, we got next. Okay. Uh, in general, I like it. Applied markers would have made a difference for me. 36 millimeter option would have also been nice. Under that is a douchey reply. Going to stick to my 1016. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bro. Yeah. Jesus. Because, you know, you don't, all, you don't already own the watch that everyone wants to own, but they can't get. Yeah, why are you even looking at this? Uh, exactly. Like, what? what? came just that's to flex a, that that's yeah but that's i can also tell you that that's probably a guy who like he doesn't even wear his 1016 he probably just leaves it in his watch box and admires it every day and then he just tells you about it Seiko. yeah he just got to tell you that he owns it uh next thank you next. so here, here's a very enthusiastic one i love it perfect size perfect thickness quick adjust t-fit clasp is dreamy love the red tip secondhand and i love the price if i if i were to look for anything to complain about it would be the preference for bright white loom versus the tan slash yellow slash green in parentheses varies by photo loom. Uh, this will let me forgive Rolex for axing the 39 millimeter Explorer. This definitely fixes wrongs parentheses size slash bracelet of the 2014 Ranger and goes above and beyond with movement and clasp. That guy is hyped. <laughs> yeah. He's camping that, outside the, the, the yeah, Tudor boutique. He, he, he's already called 17 ADs across the United States to put his name on a list for the first come, first serve. Uh, no, I mean, again, I think uh, I think a lot of his points are valid. We touched on every single one of them. Um, I think 39 for the average consumer is a good size. There's a lot of people in the camp of, you know, the, the Explorer 1 should be in 39. Uh, I have a good collector buddy that has a 39 Explorer. He's like, I would not wear the 36. I'd only wear the 39. So I think his points are, are fair. I, I I think you know a lot of it's what we said on the on the pod already, but it makes sense. It makes sense. Next up, dial is meh for me. Would have heightened the look with applied indices TBH. However, T fit micro adjusting clasp in house caliber for three K is a steal. I mean, I agree. How, what, what do you think about the applied markers or lack thereof? <laughs> You know, it's so hard to tell trying to visualize it in your head. I mean, I, I don't think it came. I don't think it ever came with them. So it's hard to. It's always hard to bridge that into the the future when you like. Even when you're upgrading materials to like a ceramic, it's always yeah. hard to to envision that and make it make that transition well. 
and not compromise the integrity of the old style. So I don't know if I would like it or not. I mean, it's definitely a cleaner look. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a cleaner look. But my only can think my only thinking is, I mean, the new Explorer One has applied markers and it's had them for years now. At yeah, this point. Yes. And the 1016s were so cool because they were just a flat printed tritium, right? Yeah, like they yes. Rolex made the change to to add the applied markers on there, and nobody seems to care about that. So I'm wondering if if that's that's a valid criticism that could have done the same thing here with the Ranger to, to update it a little bit more uh, instead of leaving it kind of in the 1960s. So there's Here's certainly pres one. there's precedent for it. He goes, the hot take is they were too lazy to create a new case and movement to put in 36 millimeter as it deserves. However, he says, still probably a buyer, though. <laughs> you got to love those crown fans, man. No matter what, it could be literally a steel piece of garbage and somebody's going to buy it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just get the original. That's what watch collecting is about. There's nothing safer and more boring than spending a lot of money for some random reissue. They sink like stones. It's your punishment for not knowing enough about watches that you have to go to a dealer. Ultimate douche. Oh, God, that's okay. The guy probably bought some Franken watches and he doesn't even know it. He has no he, idea. He thinks he's an expert. This is one of my favorite comments just because it's, it's so random. It's funny. <laughs> right. It's, a cheeseburger of a watch, not disappointing and not that interesting at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if that's like, I don't know if it's a compliment or not, but it, I, I, know, I had a good chuckle like, at it, but it's like, I like cheeseburgers. Or like, I think that's what it is. Boring? I think, I think it's, a, it, you know, you're never disappointed with a cheeseburger, but you're also not like, never in like impressed maybe. Yeah, you're not trying to wow your date with a cheeseburger. <laughs> it's such a it's such a random comment. It is. It's I, gotta, I, it's I enjoy it. It's right up our alley anyway. That's fine. It's whatever. All right, I got. I think I got a couple more, and then I'm done here. Uh, I'm a little confused about the watch fam's response because it really felt like this is what everyone's been asking for. Don't really care what they think. This is the exact watch I've always wanted, and I'll probably end up blowing up my collection in order to get one on the bracelet. Super excited for it. Tbh. Dang, if you gotta blow up your collection to get. What are you collecting? Oh, well, maybe he's maybe he's, he maybe he still hasn't made the jump. You know, I was talking about this the other day when I was uh I was out and I was talking to somebody about the the gut check of broaching those those spending thresholds. And once you cross, yeah, it's, it's, it's no true. big deal. But true. what? But before you make that jump, oh, it is a uh, man. I you know what? You're right. I, it's and a stomach I, turner. Now, now that I say that, I'm like, I sound like a douche too. I'm like, I remember that time where it's like 500 bucks was a was a big chunk was yeah. a big chunk of change, and now it's like. There's some watches that I own where their straps are five hundred dollars. Yeah, it's sickening. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I, that's 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 a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, three thousand dollars is still a lot of money it's, for it's sure. It's still dope. <laughs> Last of all, but certainly not least, simply just the emoji for a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> The guy couldn't even spare the time out the full word trash. Just the emoji of a garbage can. Could not care less. <laughs> oh my god, that is fantastic. I love that. I love that. I love that. Uh <laughs> hey, look, to each their own. Uh I don't know, bro. What 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 are what are your overall 
thinking here? I know we kind of touched on this stuff a little bit, but what uh, what is your your ultimate opinion? Is this a win for you? Is this something that you're going to add to your collection, or are you just going to throw this in the metaphorical trash bin? I'm not going to say I'm throwing it in the bin. I'm just probably not picking one of these up. I think it's a step no. in the right direction. I think it's a sign of progress. I think they are moving in into a space where you're seeing them sort of please the collector, but also churn out pretty decent looking watches again. Yeah. You know, I'm in the camp. I would have liked a very, very faithful re-edition. And again, I like those little quirks that have made the brand great over the years and would have liked to have seen them because if you're going to reissue something, go the whole way, you know? And I, I, I would have liked it. I thought 34 was a very unique size for them. Because Rolex did not that many watches in 34. I mean, you can get Air yeah, Kings and like things in 34. Then... You can get Oyster Perpetuals in 34s going back. And yeah, in and their then... way back catalog, there were more. But recently, not so much at all. So yeah, I yeah. thought that bringing it in 34 would make it very different from Rolex. Although I guess 39 is sort of in between their sizes as well now. Yeah. Uh, but in modern sense. Yeah, certainly 36 I thought was doable and it would have been an appropriate size. And I, I spoke about how I don't like dial spacing in that regard, and that, that's kind of where it makes sense to me. But this one does look proportionate. I will say that. The hands extend all the way out to the periphery of the dial. They don't look like they're stumpy. Um, I think the proportions here are correct for the dial, even though it is a larger case. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I really need to see this one in the middle. I mean, we talked a lot about watches that have recently come out. I know I, we talked about the the Super Ocean Heritage from from uh, from a little while ago, and and I and I'll be honest with you, I was I was very lukewarm to that watch when it came out. We talked about it on the podcast, um, but I tried one on this week, and I like it. Which size? I tried the forty two. I think that that's probably going to be the best size for most people. Um, I know you were kind of curious to see the thirty six in person. I think visually. It's not the case size that wears small. It's the dial. Dial is going to be very small. Yeah. And it's only it's only because the chapter ring is so wide in contrast to the main color of the dial. So naturally, you know, you have a dial open that's pretty big for 36, but then you have, you know, a three, four, a three or four millimeter wide chapter ring that makes your dial opening, you know, 15 millimeters or whatever, like something yep. very small. Um, so I think people could get away wearing the 36, but I think visually it's just naturally funneling your eyes into kind of a smaller, you know, cone like, um, uh, perception of the watch. So, uh, 44 is also a, a decent size. Um, I didn't like that one, uh, to be honest with you, I think it was too big, but the lug to lug is fantastic. The case is fantastic. The finishing is fantastic. I, I actually like the slow chrono motif in person. I didn't think that I would, but I do um, because it's extremely legible. My only criticism was what I mentioned on the podcast. It still holds true with, uh, with seeing it in person. I just wish that, that the, the loom pip of the, uh, the second hand was, was, was larger. I, that's the only thing that I wish would, would be true on the case and on, on, the, on the dial. I just wish it was slightly bigger. I think it would be better overall aesthetically. But, uh, you know, that's really a minor complaint. I don't really have an issue with it. I think it looks good just the way that it is as well. So uh, for me, that's a, that's a personal gripe. But uh, I think for the average person, it's going to look just fine. How was the paddle hand in person? 
it was very, very, very sharp in person. Somebody referred to the Tudor Ranger hour hand as the butt plug hour hand. Now I can't unsee. So enjoy that, everybody. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, it is that way. But uh, I will say this. We all know it's been that way for a very, very, very long time. Even the vintage reissue from 2014 had the same. So, uh, you know, what are you going to do? And I think this, I think what this drop sort of did for me was kind of make me think about what I like and don't like in a vintage reissue. Yeah. Because I I think overall I'm for them because there's something about vintage designs that makes them timeless and to ignore them and just let them go and bury them in the past, I think is almost like a, a crime in that regard. I agree. Like people of this generation are never going to be able to just go experience a Connery sub, right? They were over a hundred grand. So at least you could pick up a Black Bay 58 and have something in the realm of that and enjoy it and say, hey, this looks like Sean Connery's watch and the James Bond film. And absolutely. And and I'll say this too. I mean, even if we, we take the abstraction away of it being a vintage reissue, look at things like the Moonwatch. Look at the Diver 300 meter. Look at a Royal Oak. Look at a Nautilus. These are all watches that were not designed today. No, not at all. They were designed in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s. And their design concept was so strong that it still resonates today. To be honest with you, I cannot think off the top of my head a timepiece that I have seen today with truly a unique design that was made in a modern way. Everything that we sell that's popular for the most part is derivative from something from the past. I mean, you know, there's a couple outliers, maybe something like a Grubel 4Z or something like, yeah, but that doesn't look like anything else. It looks like itself, right? Yeah. There's nothing to compare it to. But you look at every single popular watch, a Panerai, a Breitling, a Tag, they're all reminiscent of designs from decades past. They might be updated, they might be modernized, but they're all referencing something from before. And that just speaks to the power of design language when people were truly innovative in what they were creating. And I think that is what invalidates the idea when people say, oh, if you reissue something, you're cheapening the older watch or you're crapping on the legacy and yada yada it's always something right there's always some gripe like that yeah but i will quote i will quote mr analog shift himself james lamb and i was watching him one time i think he dropped he jumped in a a live stream and somebody asked him about uh i think it was a vintage speedmaster they said it was the one of the old 145 models and they said i know it's pretty much it hasn't changed a lot why would i get this older one over a, a brand new one and he said well two people roll up in a jaguar uh, E-class, one from the old days, one brand new. Who wins? And I was like, ah, oh, the guy's got a point. Right? Yeah. The older one is infinitely cooler and not really for much of a reason other than it just is, right? The design is, it's different. It's not incredibly different. It's got that same exact aesthetic you were just talking about where it's a callback and it's modernized, but it's still very much its own car. I mean, it's still very much the same family. But the older one is just cooler. There's just something about it. 
there's an inherent level of coolness. I mean, I'll, I'll share with you one side story. There's just, you know, things. One of my favorite design concepts in decades and everything like that is the mid-century. I think this is echoed for a lot of people. And uh, growing up, my first ever car was a 1965 Chevy pickup. And I'll say one thing about this. It had wipers. The wipers ran off the vacuum pump from the engine. Again, there's no electronics in this car, right? So the wipers ran off the vacuum pump of the engine. There's no speed. So there's no variable wiper speed. They open and close about this fast, right? So it's like, that's it. There's no high speed, low speed, nothing. So if you're in the middle of a, of a, of a rainstorm and it's raining pretty hard, you literally cannot see out of your windshield, which is crazy. But as a way to counteract this, what Chevy designed is a lip on the top of the roof that acted literally like a gutter on your car. It was a small lip. It would run the periphery of the actual, uh, um, the top part of the, of the truck, and it would filter down through the front pillars on either side of the windshield to help curtail all of the excess water that you were going to be encountering when you were driving. This is one of the most innovative things in something so simple because that was the limitations of the technology. And for me, there's something so imperceptible about that idea that like, hey, this is all we could do, but we're going to make it the best we possibly can with what we got. You know, and for me, that 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 kind of style, that design, that that overall language really translates into a lot of these watches that. You know, we we love to 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 collect and to worship today. Because I look at a classic Ranger from the 1960s, I'm like, that was the best Ranger that Tudor could have created at that time. Yeah. Period. They wanted to offer their clients the best watch that they could offer at that time. And that's why, you know, this whole debate about reissue or not reissue. I mean, honestly. There's a every time I look at these modern watches that come out that are really truly their own designs, you know, they're still derivative of something. You know, they've been stylized and 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 riffed off of something. Doesn't matter if it's a micro brand or anything, like there is a design that has withstood the test of time and is being emulated, whether in a very direct homage fashion or in more of a tribute fashion or a referencing fashion, but it's still being referenced. And I think that this, that begs the question, like if you go, if you go reissue, do you go all in? Do you do the 34 with a date and just release it and let the market do with it what it, what it will? Is that what you do, bro? For me, yeah. For me, if I'm going to go reissue, I'm going, I want to make it the most elite version of itself that I can while paying tribute, while being respectful to the old design and while trying not to step on too many toes, because even at the end of the day, no matter how good I make this watch, even if it's meta certified and all that stuff, it's still not the original. Yeah. And it will never be. And so even if it is that amazing, Right, the Camaro today will still never beat the '60s Camaro, no matter how yeah, awesome they true. make it. That's true. It's just what it is. 
and I and, think and, I, and I think that's... and and I think too for me as well for this type of watch I would have loved to see them go as you always like to joke whenever people zig you like to zag mm. you know for me this would have been a golden opportunity for Tudor to say you know what screw it we're going all in we're going full send we're going old school here's what we put out like it or don't we don't care and i think that that would have been the ultimate flex the ultimate standard because even still there's brands out there today you know one of my favorites included you know omega included in this that are still doing vintage reissues that they're enlarging sizes they're they're taking artistic liberties with them this would have been a go against the grain moment for Tudor to really do it right and say, you know what? Here's a 34 millimeter, all you chads out there. This is what we're going to give you. If you don't like it, then don't buy a Tudor. And with that, I think, I think we did it justice this episode, though. I don't, I don't think we bashed too hard. I think people probably came into this episode assuming we were going to destroy this thing. But I don't think it's worth that. I don't think it's it's it needs to be. And I don't again. I don't think it's a bad release at all. In fact, I think it's a pretty good step in the right direction. Uh, we've given the goods, the bads, the otherwise, and sort of our own little spin on it. And aside from that, I think a lot of it is just personal preference. I think this will be a hit for a lot of people, in the same way that a lot of their more popular models have, like when like. Black Bay 58 Blue came out, right? Everybody said, oh, it's not a it's not a Tudor sub. It's not a bluesy. It's not whatever. Yeah, but people like it, and it's in a good size, and it fits a lot of those boxes people like to check. And for a lot of people, it's a favorite, and it's it's stuck in their collections. Plenty of people have moved on from it, but, you know, they, it's not that they're putting – they're not putting out models that are completely undesirable, and they're not just doing random stuff. It seems like they're at least trying to please people. The Black Bay Pro seems to have satisfied a lot of people – so we'll see. We'll see if the trend continues or if they're just doing the Rolex. You'll never get this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. We'll see what the future holds. But on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into yet another episode of the Rich Cheese Radio podcast. I'm Schmitty. You guys know my buddy, bro. We appreciate you tuning into episode 38, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. We bid you adieu. Adieu.